If you really believe in Jesus Christ as Son of God, Savior, and Lord, there is no condemnation for you because of God's overflowing grace received by faith. Hi, this is Richard Lanford, the redheaded preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie. Thanks for tuning in. The service that you'll be listening to the Sermon and the Scriptures of is Sunday, July 12th, 2020. The lector is Marcia Hilliard. The sermon is called Esau, Inheritance, and Good News. So thanks for tuning in, and I hope you have uh, an enjoyable time listening to this three-and-a-half-part sermon and the Scriptures for Marcia. The first reading, as promised, is from Genesis, chapter 25, verses 19 through 34. Earlier this summer, we have heard about Abraham and Sarah, Hagar, Ishmael, and Isaac. Now the next generation of the Lord's people comes into play as as Jacob and Esau are born and grow up. These are the descendants of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren and the Lord granted his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, conceived. The children struggled together within her and she said, if it is to be this way, why do I live? So she went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. When her time to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy mantle. So they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff for I am famished. Therefore he was called Edom. Jacob said, first sell me your birthright. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way.
Thus Esau despised his birthright. This ends the reading from Genesis. The epistle lesson comes from Paul's letter to the Church of Rome, chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. The apostle has laid out how we are saved by God's grace through faith. And now he talks about how the Holy Spirit is to guide believers and even define them. We'll get the most out of this reading by paying close attention. So hang in there. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son and his likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. This ends the reading from Romans 8 and our scriptures for today. Martin Luther King Jr. was a great preacher, and not only because of his oratory or his message, but because when he ascended a pulpit or went to a lectern, he carried his portfolio with him, and as he got up, he closed it. Then he preached. I can't do that. At least not yet. The story of Jacob and Esau, which is rich for preaching, reminded me of a moment between my brother Tommy and I. Three years apart in age, with me the youngest after 1962, I spent more time with my mom than he did, learning something about baking and cooking, so one morning, we were beyond children, well into our teen years. Uh, one morning I was in the kitchen frying an egg for myself. Tommy walks in. I think he was a little surprised that his kid brother actually knew how to do this. 
He asked if I would fry one for him. Clearly, he did not know how to do it. In fact, I might have asked him, you don't know how to do this? So I fried him an egg, and that was that. There was no bargaining, no using my ability to help him as an opportunity to leverage something out of him. Why Jacob could not do something like sharing his stew with his twin brother when he asked for some is beyond me. It's one reason I think Jacob was a schmuck. God's schmuck, though. Jacob did use Esau's hunger to strike a deal with him. We heard Marcia read the story. As the first out of Rebekah's womb, barely, Esau was the eldest son. He got what is called the birthright. As the firstborn son, he was going to be first in line for all the inheritance of the family. He'd get almost, if not all, of the land, uh, though as a roving, nomadic uh, sheep herder, I'm not quite sure, though he's more than a sheep herder. Not quite sure how that works, but that's what would happen. Um, all, the, all the animals, any or any of the slaves, if they had any, I know Abraham did, so Isaac probably did, all of them, etc. It's called a birthright. It's also called the law of primogeniture, the law of the firstborn. We've heard it before. You and I have heard it before. Uh, I've surely preached on it in the past, just not for some time. Esau had the essential birthright. He had the inherited upper hand. Birthright benefits were woven into family law and wider culture. The folkways of the time, they were all in Esau's hand to bless him down the road. Jacob wanted that for himself. Jacob, a schemer just like his mom, saw a chance to make a deal. Taking advantage of Esau's penetrating hunger, he gave him some of the stew he was making and bread and beverage in exchange for the privilege of his birthright. As Genesis tells us, Esau traded his future for the here and now. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. His empty stomach was filled for a while. Meanwhile, his birthright to be the next family patriarch was now gone. Jacob had it. That was going to last for longer than a full stomach even though we know the story is still not done with Isaac, his sons, and the birthright. Now this sermon, for better or worse, has three points. And the first is, don't be foolish like Esau. You and I do not have birthrights per se, although we are born with certain benefits. We have things or relationships that we treasure which may be promised in the future, too, if we do not mess up. And along comes a deal-maker, a, 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 a blow-your-mind kind of temptation, a choice, or several choices, 
which offer us something that we're really feeling the need for, that we're jonesing for at the time, and for which we surrender that treasured thing or status or income or relationship. I'm not talking about credit cards, the buy now and pay later life, which specifics, you know, that's going to vary upon household. The idea is the same, buy now, pay later, but it's much more serious down the road. That's what I'm talking about. This is not an impulse purchase for which you now have to make monthly payments for a year or something like that. This is more like falling for something or someone which will end up getting you fired. We could alienate you or me from loved ones. We could make one dumb mistake, one stupid decision, because we think we're going to get something out of it, or we do get something out of it, and we end up over our heads and behind bars. We could have a deadly serious health crisis because of it. All the time, you or I probably never plan for anyone, let alone ourselves, to get hurt, to find out, or for this choice to be our new present and future. It felt good going down. It met the need at the time, or the felt need at the time. Jacob's a good cook, like Rebecca. Ah, Jacob couldn't be serious. I'm still the oldest, and I'll still get Father's blessing at the end. Yeah. Was it worth it? Don't be like Esau. Hold on. Don't give in. Keep perspective. Play it forward. That actually, that phrase, play it forward, it's a tool for recovering addicts. Many of them are like Esau, but with a disease who continue to indulge their illness because they become unable to control their addiction. Blast the consequences. So what if I miss work for the third day in a row? So what if my husband or wife wonders where I am overnight? I'm high, or I'm on a roll at the track, or whatever, that's what counts now. Esau on steroids. Those in recovery from addiction are advised to remember when undergoing temptation to play it forward. Roll the tapes of the past. What's going to happen if you call your dealer? Or go back to those websites that get you in deep trouble? Or pick up that first drink? Or you drive to the track? In recovery, the addict is to ask, do I want where that takes me again, do I want that life again? And moves, hopefully usually, out of Jacob's tent before making any deal. A different lesson comes to mind when I think of the law of primogeniture or birthright. People are born into them after someone else created the system of favoritism. In our study Wednesday nights of systemic racism and white privilege, we saw a brief animated video which keeps some of this systemic racism's foundations easy to understand. And it's, it's part of it, but it explains a lot of it. The video starts with two school-age friends, Kevin and Jamal. 
They are a handful of blocks apart, but they go to different schools. Why? Well, decades before, after World War II perhaps, or right around there, their grandparents sought homes in the same area about the same time. Now, before that started, before they started looking, many quote-unquote government agencies, and I would imagine lenders are involved, started drawing maps, creating sections of the town that were designated as desirable or undesirable for investment. Likely, you've heard of redlining. That's what this is. That limited access to money for mortgages and businesses in the undesirable for investment case, uh, in those areas, excuse me, that redlining, limited access to money for mortgages and businesses in the undesirable for investment areas. So when Kevin's white grandparents were looking in a designated as favorable area, they were able to get a mortgage and buy a home and maintain it. Jamal's black grandparents, however, found no affordable mortgages available for them. They rented a few blocks away. In those days, for their kids, Kevin and Jamal's parents, there was little to no access to college for African Americans. In Kevin's neighborhood, where his grandparents put down roots, their better access to better paying jobs nearby because of the, it was designated better for investment, that, so they had better paying jobs nearby, that meant higher property taxes, which meant more funding for the schools in their neck of town, which meant better schools and better school resources, which are crucial. Jamal's family was in that neighborhood a few blocks away still, where the lower valued properties and businesses generated fewer property tax dollars, thus fewer good resources and facilities for schools. Redlining can have a ripple effect for generations. All the same, Kevin and Jamal, who were friends, they excelled in their differing schools, intelligent and hardworking. They both qualified for and attended an Ivy League university both received identical top grades. However, at this point, something called implicit bias kicked in during job search time. When Kevin's resume and college record equal to Jamal's, with the only exception that he had an Anglo-sounding name, he got many more interviews and callbacks than Jamal's, which had a non-Anglo-sounding name. Those are the types of inherited circumstances or birthrights which are unjust and we hope repairable over time. What happens next is upon our generations. This is the second thing I wanted to lift up. Don't be like Esau. Don't shrug our shoulders at privilege and implicit bias but engage to see what we can do out of our faith to deal with that injustice. The third point may or may not be related. I think it is very much. If you've been a friend or a member of St. Peter's UCC for a long time, you might be able to think of some themes, passages, or situations I get more excited about than others. We heard one of them 
briefly, a little while ago from Marcia as she read Romans 8. Point 3A, sorry, comes from what I meant for Mark Loach to read on Pride Sunday two weeks ago, but I confused Romans chapters 5 and Romans chapters 8, and he read from Romans 5 by mistake. I did the best I could with that for that Sunday. But chapter 8, verse 1, goes, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you really believe in Jesus Christ as Son of God, Savior, and Lord, there is no condemnation for you because of God's overflowing grace received by faith. There is therefore, no, if you're in Christ Jesus, no condemnation. Heterosexuals do not corner the market on truly believing in Jesus Christ. They do not corner the market on no longer being under condemnation. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered, and QIA persons who believe are as equal under the cross as anybody else. I wanted to say that better two weeks ago. Now I hope I have. Point 3B is at the end of the passage, which means we're almost at the end of the sermon. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness, Hang on. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. It's a message of Easter plus Pentecost. Believers who have received the Holy Spirit, and I believe faith and the Spirit's indwelling are interconnected, have the spirit of resurrection within them. God raised Jesus from the grave through the power of the Holy Spirit. By faith, that same resurrecting Jesus spirit is within you. I'm not making this up. Paul is saying it. The spirit of God that raised Jesus of Nazareth from the grave is in you. That means that by the death-conquering spirit within, you and I can overcome any obstacle that may try to bury you. Any enemy who might try to make your work life unbearable. A bully at school who harasses you or your friends. A downturn in the economy. A downturn in your health. And more. This does not mean that you won't benefit from wisdom and help. Other people. Medications. And the church and rest and more all play a part in helping us survive and thrive. It starts and ends, though, for us with the Holy Spirit of the risen Christ who lives within you. The Spirit resurrected Jesus over all the evil and death that crucified him. And that's ugly stuff. But he was raised by the Holy Spirit of God. And Paul says that that exact same Spirit of God is in you and can raise you up too. How can you not get excited about that? Yes. Amen. Thanks once again for tuning in and listening to the podcast of The Redheaded Preacher. And next week is going to be July 19th. 
That will be the last one before I'm gone for two Sundays on vacation. That would be July 26th and August 2nd. I have no idea if there are plans that others can make uh, that I don't need to be involved in for a podcast uh, to be put out there. Uh, And if there is, it just will not be me, and that's, of course, fine. So I hope you enjoyed the uh, and were maybe a little challenged by the last sermon, uh, Esau, Inheritance, and Good News. And God bless your week. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.